you guys. Good morning. Well, my name is Heather, if you don't know me, and I'm the executive pastor here over ministries. Uh, pastor Lance last week spoke at the largest Foursquare church in Costa Rica, and then just yesterday he did a leadership conference with a bunch of youth leaders. So amazing that we could just send our best over um, to the nations and to be instructing and training them. So he is actually, he and Polly are en route right now on a plane headed back this way. So thanks for having me this morning. I'm super happy to be here. Hey, for our church at home campus, I just want to encourage you to grab some elements this morning. We will be having communion at the end of service. And if you have not received your elements here in our building, you can grab some. They're right outside in the back there. So we are in week two of a series that I'm called Living Out of Eden. And last week, we spoke out of Genesis about Adam and Eve, about their separation from God, about that sneaky serpent who tricked them into eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which I had my jar of peanut M&Ms, and I likened that tree to uh, the no-no tree. And that garden or that jar of M&Ms to sin, I've heard so much of you about those M&Ms this past week. So, so much from you, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And so this week, we are going to be talking about encountering God's redemption, his good and his perfect redemption. Over the past several weeks, Pastor Lance has been talking about our theme for 2022, Encounter. And it was at the end of 2021 that our staff got together and we prayed and we believed that this was a prophetic word over each and every one of you, that God was calling you into an encounter with him in 2022. But in order to have an encounter with Jesus, we got to move all that junk out of the way, all of our sin out of the way, and come before him through the blood of Jesus. We want our lives to be transformed by an encounter with Jesus so that our lives can be a reflection of God's goodness to other people, so that the Great Commission can go forward. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you open up every ear to hear? Would you soften every heart? God, we just invite you in this space to be among us. We surrender to you this morning and ask you to have your way. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, three weeks ago today, I was on my way home from church. I had just finished wrapping up um, our announcements recordings, and it was a gray and rainy day, and the roads were all kind of yucky and wet, and I was listening to worship music, sitting in my comfortable warm car. I had a cup of hot coffee in my cup holder, thinking about what I was going to go and cook for dinner that evening. And all of, the, some, all of the sudden, somebody turned out right in front of me. I only had time to slam my brakes on and to lay on my horn, and unfortunately, I T-boned her. I, yeah, I did. I know I hear it. Was, it was very startling to me, too. I sat there dazed for a minute. Coffee was splashed all over my whole entire car. And I, I kind of got my bearings, and then I slowly pulled off to the side of the road, and I immediately called 911. And as I was reflecting back on that day, I was thinking, why was it my first response to call the police? Well, I knew that there needed to be a record of wrongdoing, 
a recourse to be able to go back and ensure that justice would be done in regards to my car, in regards to my health. I had an expectation that because of the laws in this city, because of the law enforcement that's put in place, because I have insurance, because there's systems put in place, that there would be justice. That as a citizen of this state, of this country, that there's norms that we come to understand. There's an expectation of how things will work. We expect that our cities would put in appropriate directional signs. That at busy intersections, they would put up a stoplight. That type of justice helps us to trust our city, to trust mostly our lawmakers, and to think, I know, it's okay, you can chuckle a little bit, and to think of the justice to serve our good. We think of it as good. Why then sometimes when God puts up those same directional signs, those same stoplights at kind of um, intersections of life, do we resent it? Do we become frustrated because we want to do what we want to do? Why, when God's justice is applied to our sin or applied to the sin of this world, do we then question his goodness and his trustworthiness? The beauty of the justice that God serves is that it is always for our best, even when we don't understand it. And his justice leads to our redemption. Let me say that again. His justice, sometimes consequences, leads to our redemption of once again having a restored relationship with our creator. His work of justice in the garden led all the way to the redemption that Jesus offered us in his death and resurrection. Now, I don't have a ton of time to review my sermon from last week, and so I just want to encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, to go back and listen to it as it sets some of the foundation for where we are going to jump in today. But I do want to cover some of the bases, some of the the parts of it from last week. So last week, as I mentioned at the top of the sermon, we began in Genesis in chapters 2 and 3, and we read about the fall of man. We read about the serpent in the garden and the enemy's plan to trick mankind into sin. And we talked about the Hebrew word for sin, chata, chata, and it means to miss the way, to go wrong. So God tells us to hang a left, and then we choose to hang a right. And then we read about the following ways that the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. And so we talked about, and how he still does it today, he appeals to our insecurities, The enemy appealed to Adam and Eve's insecurities, and he appeals to our sense of reason and compromise. Remember, the enemy said, did God really tell you to not eat from the fruit of that tree? Remember, I shook the M&M jar up here. Did he really tell you not to eat those M&Ms? They got protein in them. They're good for you. So he appeals to our, you know, like that that doubt. Did we really hear the voice of God? Or, Or did we really hear him correctly? And then that sense of reason where we start to logic our way out of what we thought we heard from God. Well, that doesn't really make sense. Therefore, it must not be God. And then the enemy appeals to our pride, our need to be in control. 
said, God knows that your eyes will be open. This is what the enemy said to them. As soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Well, we want to know what God knows. That's why the whole business of, you know, um, fortune tellers and Ouija boards is such a booming business. People want to know. We think, you know, knowledge is power. We need to know. And then the enemy appeals to their senses. And it says, Eve, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted some of the wisdom that it would give her. And then we talked about the consequences that we invite in. So those are schemes of the enemy that he used then and that he uses now. And then the consequences, things like shame, disconnection from one another. It said they covered themselves. They were ashamed because they were naked. Disconnection from God. Adam and Eve hid in the garden. And God said, where are you? And he said, I'm hiding because I'm scared. We introduced fear into our lives. And then lies. God said, who told you you were naked? Who told you? Why should you be ashamed? And then blame. This is my favorite, right? Man said, the woman made me do it. (laughs) And then the woman said, well, the enemy made me do it. We introduced all of these internal consequences, all of this inner turmoil inside when we fell for the tricks of the enemies, of the enemy. So when we think about today, if we think about how do I know, how do I know if I'm following the voice of God or if I'm, I'm out there? Because let's remember, sin isn't always just this intentional disobedience. Sometimes it really isn't. It's just, it doesn't make sense. I think I heard God, but I'm going to, I think God told me to take a right, but I'm going to take a left. So some of the ways we can kind of check ourselves are what kind of internal consequences are going on in there. Or was that decision that I made, did that just appeal to my need to be in control? Did that just appeal to my fear that I made that decision? Those are kind of some of the ways that we can vet to see where we're at. So we can see that today the enemy is still very much moving and he's still creating conflict and conflict between one another and internally and conflict um, and disconnection from God. And if we want to encounter God, we have to know our enemy and we have to be on guard so that sin can no longer separate us from the Lord. So last week we did, we spent quite a bit of time talking about Satan. We spent quite a bit of time talking about the lies and sin that we walk in. And this week I want to talk about how God's justice leads to the path of redemption. Because it was from this moment in the Garden of Eden that God begins to redeem humanity. We can see right away that it went from justice, God's justice, to his mercy. And in his mercy, he began to redeem humanity. Redeem, I want to define this really quickly for you. Redeem is to compensate for the faults or the bad aspects of something, to redeem, to compensate. Well, compensate means to counteract by exerting an opposite force. God begins to counteract Sin with redemption, an opposite force. And then redemption is defined, the action of regaining something in exchange for payment, clearing of a debt. God begins to clear the debt of the sin of mankind right in the garden. 
Now, this word redemption, it's mentioned over 50 times in the Bible. And it is actually first mentioned in the book of Leviticus. Something good comes out of Leviticus, guys. I know. It's a rough, it's a rough chapter to, to get through there. But it, it, in that context, it's referring to a slave who has been redeemed. A slave who has been set free from slavery. Such a beautiful picture that that is the first time redemption is used in the Bible. That God wants to interject into our lives of sin and set us free from the slavery that it binds us to. That is the work of redemption. But I think it's so important to see that before redemption, God speaks of his justice. He reminds the enemy that justice will be served. Last week, we talked about, number one, we talked about God reminds the enemy of his place in this world. So in Genesis 3.1, or 3.15, excuse me, God says, speaking to Satan, and I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring, so the enemy's offspring, and her offspring, Right? And it says, he, meaning the woman's offspring, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, God reminded the enemy of his place and this week's, this week's edition, we see his justice at work. He reminded the enemy of his place and we see God's justice at work. Anyone see any evidence of hatred between man and the work of the enemy today? <laughs> of course we do. And, and while here God is speaking to the enemy, and he said that there would be um, enmity, so hostility is what enmity defined as, that there would be hostility between Satan's offspring and Eve's offspring. Well, we don't see any evidence in the Bible that Satan actually bore any children, right? But we do see evidence that the enemy continues to use people and lies to deceive other people, to bring about his purposes on this earth. So there, this is kind of a, um, an application to the spiritual realm. And then God says there's going to be conflict between Eve's descendant. And of course, that's a representative of Jesus. The Hebrew word for head here is rosh, and it means chief, leader, top. It means chief, like the highest rank. And the Hebrew word for heel is akab, heel. It's the bottom. So the translation of that verse really is, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he, Jesus, will crush your leader, your chief. And then you will strike just the bottom of Jesus' foot. That Jesus has come to crush the enemy. It was a picture of Jesus on the cross. The enemy struck his heel in that moment of death, but Jesus dealt the final blow in the resurrection. That is the power of the redemptive work of God. And I think the issue is, is that sometimes we yield to that, to that enemy in our lives who had the blow to his head. We bow to that. He's got like a mental issue going on. We, we're like, yes, we believe, right? And, and again, sometimes we don't choose that. But when we don't listen to the truth of our Father, we are by default listening to the voice of the enemy. 
When we don't choose peace and we're walking in stress, anxiety, all of that, that is listening to this guy with a brain defect. Listen, God crushed him once and for all. This is what Jesus did. He made a way for us to once again enter the presence of God. See, when mankind sinned, we could not stand in the holiness of God's presence any longer. And God was grieved for that. But there had to be justice applied. Jesus here called, he calls in the New Testament, in John 8, 44, he calls Satan a murderer, a despiser of truth, and a father of lies. And a minute ago, I talked about the spiritual legacy that the enemy tries to have here in this world. And actually, Jesus says, speaking to um, the religious leaders of the day, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. This is John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Church, we have to remember that. Who am I in agreement with as I walk out my day-to-day life? Am I in agreement with the father of lies? Am I walking in anxiety and distrust of other people and anger and loathing and um, conflict? That is being in agreement with the father of lies. And while God, he doesn't promise us perfect peace this side of heaven, we have to understand that there's justice for both parties involved in consequence. That is actually what paints a beautiful picture of having a relationship with Jesus. He can't just, God doesn't just hold the offender accountable. He holds all of us accountable, each and every one of us in here, But it's because of that justice that then Jesus was able to go to the cross on our behalf. God was willing to say, I will pay the penalty for your sins. This is what we should want from a loving and a protective God. We want our cities to have stop signs. We want our cities to have stop lights. But man, we don't want that in our own lives, do we? We don't want God messing with our decisions. We say we know what's best, right? The world right now, I, I get to do this. I get to be happy. You don't get to tell me how to live. But God said, don't you know I see the oncoming traffic? Don't you know that I see this crazy intersection that if I don't put a stop sign here, you're going to just be hit, you're going to be taken out, you're going to be in all kinds of pain? Will you stop? He puts justice in our lives so that we could have some peace in this world. Sometimes we just want God to be the God of mercy, or it's the opposite, right? We just want the justice. Come on. I know there's some of you in here like me. Listen, in my early 20s, I had some things to say. (laughs) Maybe I have some things to say now too. But in my early 20s, sometimes I was all about that God of justice, I had an imbalance in my view of who God was, right? So not only is it important for us to understand the balance of justice and mercy for our own walk with Jesus, it's also important for us to understand it so that we model that for other people, 
right? So that our lives would also draw people unto the justice and the mercy of God. But too often, if we just lean one side or the other, then we present one side or the other. We are either, oh, you are in sin? Get away from me. When you start living your life right, we are unequally yoked in this friendship. Who has said that in here? Come on. I know some of you all, listen, I grew up in the 90s. We were all about iron sharpens iron. We can't be around you right now. You are in sin. That's how we talked in my youth group. We'd say, I'm just playing, but I mean it. (laughs) We said that a lot. I'm just playing, but I mean it. We were calling each other out right and left about all kinds of things. We weren't walking in mercy, but I've also seen the opposite, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I know that you are really making all the wrong choices right now, and your life is really hard. It's okay. You don't have to do anything different. God loves you right where you're at. He does love them right where they're at, but sometimes God asks us to make some changes, right? So it's hard. In our own human, in our own human behavior, we're not going to do it perfect, but we do need to have an understanding that God is 100% justice and 100% mercy. Those two things together. We see further evidence of this in number two. God covers them. Last week we talked about the Lord God, chapter 321, Genesis 321. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God covers them by shedding blood. Actually, many biblical scholars agree that this was the first blood sacrifice that was made on behalf of humans. Why does blood matter? In Leviticus, again, we're going back to Leviticus. There's some good stuff in there. 1711, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonements for one life, for one's life. Blood speaks of life, and God determines that a life has to be lost to redeem the fall of humanity. Once again, justice and redemption held together. This picture right here in Genesis is a a juxtaposed picture of God. The strength of his character, which is bringing about justice, and the softness of his character, which is bringing about mercy. The fact that he tenderly clothed them in their nakedness, in their shame. But he also shed blood, justice and redemption. And God wanted to make a very clear path for those in the Old Testament to recognize Jesus. He wants to make a clear path for each and every one of you to recognize Jesus in your lives today. Shed blood was significant to people in the New Testament because they studied the Torah, the five books of the Bible in the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's who the people of the New Testament would have studied. So they would have seen about why the shed blood, about the offerings that God had asked people to bring and how it all revolved around shed blood. He continues in the Old Testament through establishing ways of atoning sins which is such an important reminder. I've made a couple jokes this morning about reading Leviticus. But let me tell you, when you read Leviticus through the eyes of the New Testament, or you read the New Testament through the eyes of Leviticus, it changes the game. 
When we read the word, you have to allow old and new, new and old to translate and work together so that you understand the power that is in the word of God. If you just open up Leviticus and you see some crazy rule about sacrificing an animal, you're going to have a weird cold out in the middle of the desert and we're going to see you on the evening news. That for sure is going to happen. If you think you got to like take an ox and like butcher it at someone's doorstep, don't do that. Okay, don't do it. (laughs) But if you read the significance of shed blood from the Old Testament and then you apply it in the New Testament, man, it is like magnified. It is like screaming. This morning in worship, I was undone. I've been studying the power of shed blood the last couple of weeks and singing that song, and just imagining the veil torn, how there used to be a tabernacle set up in the middle of the desert, and that nobody could enter God's throne room but the priest, but the holy people. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, that veil was torn so that we all could go into the holy of holies with God. What a beautiful picture. And so God is saying this morning, I want to invite you into that holy of holies. We must recognize the consequence, the justice, and the redemption held together so that you can walk freely in his redemption and go into the holy of holies with him. Some of us just like, we stand back here because we're like, well, I, th- I-, I am in sin I- or I've been in sin. We discount ourselves. Or some of us are like, let me in. And you're not even paying attention to the stuff that's separating you from God. It's, this, it's a weird thing, right? Because Jesus, he died and he rose from the dead so that once and for all, our, our debt would be paid, but it doesn't erase the need for us to continually come before and atone and say, Jesus, forgive me. It's a weird place, right? It's, we're living in this tension until Jesus comes back again. But the enemy would love to keep us forgetting that he was not already defeated, and I'm way off my notes once again. <laughs> so there is a lot of... Um, a lot of examples, all through the Old Testament of shed blood, all throughout it, right? We see Abel, he sacrifices a lamb. We see Abraham willing to sacrifice his own son. And then that beautiful picture of um, when, when God provides a substitute, it's that beautiful picture of Jesus, right, for that sacrifice. And then we see Passover, Exodus 12, 13, but on the blood or but the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Can you imagine if you believed that this morning, that the plague of death cannot touch you, that the the enemy cannot take you down, that God has a path for you, each and every one of you to walk, and that death cannot touch you because of what Jesus did on the cross. You are protected. And there are too many of you this morning that are letting the enemy take you out. That you're, You're agreeing with the lies of the enemy. God's like, man, I got some work to do here. I got some more people that need to hear about my name. I'm commissioning you, church. Have an encounter with him this morning and then go out and let people know about who Jesus is. So last week we spoke a little bit about the freedom of choice in the Garden of Eden. If you remember that, we talked about how if you don't have a freedom of choice to love somebody back or to choose somebody, it's really not a relationship. That same thing applies to justice and redemption. Again, the concept returns back to trust and to relationship, to trust 
and to relationship. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. This is Paul speaking. Again, talking about the significance of shed blood. When I had that accident, the other driver had a stop sign. The other driver was supposed to stop and then yield to oncoming traffic. And because the driver didn't yield, I expected that the law was going to have my back. That's justice. Even though I was blindsided by someone else's wrongdoing, I expected there to be justice. But I can't have it both ways. I can't have justice for someone else when they do me wrong, but no justice to me when I do someone else wrong. It's the way that it works. But the promise is in the redemptive work of Jesus. We can't want an uncontrolled intersection and then demand justice when someone loses their life there, right? We can't want both ways. We have to respect and understand and revere God's holiness and his word that he sets before us. And last week I said, remember in the morning when we wake up, our goal is to like get up here. We're never gonna get there. We may get to here and it's in that difference that the redemptive work of Jesus covers us. But if we don't even wake up and go to here, we're not operating in God's justice at all. We just think we're just all about God's mercy. I just do what I want. Guys, I'm only on point three and Laura's already up here. This is a problem. I got like, I got like five more points. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. She's, she's like you. So I'm going to rush through these. God showed them mercy. God showed them mercy in the garden and he gave them new territory. If you will recall, last week we talked about that God took them out of the Garden of Eden as an act of mercy, that it was both a consequence and it was a protection because he didn't want them eating from the tree of life, which would have sustained their life and they would have had to walk out the, con the consequences for eternity with no rest ever. So God said, we gotta get them out of the garden so they don't live with toiling the fields and having pain and hurt forever and ever and ever in eternity so that they would have an end of life and then be set free once again with me on that side of heaven. But sometimes when we're delivered into new territory, we still have to work the fields and it's hard. But God is like, come before me because I got new territory for you. I have new things for you to do in this life. Don't get in your own way. I'm just gonna skip just got to go to the, I said, when I was preparing this message, I was like, God is too good. You know how many examples of like his restoration is in the word? How am I supposed to narrow this down? I had like 16 pages and I'm like, I got to get it down to nine. I got it down to 13 and I'm still out of time. Guys, you know, it's just the way it goes. Um, and lastly, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go to God doesn't just start over, right? God doesn't just start over. He didn't just start over in the garden of Eden. He didn't just wipe Adam and Eve off the face of the planet, although we see in the Old Testament he was very tempted many times <laughs> to just say, forget it, we're done. He sent a flood, all the things. Um, but he said, I'm gonna bring fruit from their brokenness. I'm gonna bring fruit from their brokenness. This morning, I want you to receive from the Lord that he wants to bring fruit from your brokenness. And I, I, want, I skipped over a part I wanted to say, if some of you have been blindsided 
by sin that had nothing to do with you. And there are no words this side of heaven that can make that seem like it makes any sense at all. But we've seen this morning that God is a God of justice. And we trust that his justice will continue even if we don't see it. And I think when I mentioned a minute ago that he wants to give you new territory, I want to say don't let unforgiveness about that situation keep you in old territory. God has too much work. Don't give power to that sin. I mean, I I could be mad over my totaled car, right? Oh, that person. You know, I mean, listen, it was an accident. I have to just forgive move on, take new territory, move, move forward, take a new day. And, and that, you know, an accident, really, that's pretty light compared to probably some of the things that y'all have walked through, some of the stories that you could share. But God is a God of justice, and he is a God of redemption, and he will be just in those moments, and he will redeem those parts of your life if you'll let him. Why don't you go ahead and get your communion ready? Back in Genesis chapter 4, 1, it said, Adam made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man, brought forth fruit from Adam and Eve, despite their brokenness, despite their choices. So as we partake of communion today, I want you to remember the significance of shed blood, the covering that God provided to Adam and Eve, the freedom that we can run in through the blood shed at the cross, the fact that no assignment of the enemy can bring death to you. No assignment of the enemy can bring death to you. The blood tells him, you must move on. You no longer have an assignment over my life. When Jesus died and rose again, he made a new covenant with his people. He made a new covenant with you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. I want to give us just just a moment this morning to go before Jesus. Just to take a minute to reflect. God, where are the areas that you want to deal with your people this morning? Where are the areas where maybe they've been hiding or running or been afraid or been consumed with worry or have been angry? have been holding on to unforgiveness. Lord, would you expose those places this morning? Luke 22, 14 through 20, and it says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table, and Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. 
and he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and partake of the body of Christ. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Go ahead and drink. God, we believe this day as we partook of communion that we are agreeing in a new covenant with you today to walk out the purpose that you have given each and every purpose person in this room. Lord, we will no longer be slaves. We will no longer listen to the lies of the enemy, but to be full in full agreement with the word that you have declared over our lives. We thank you for your shed blood. We thank you for what you've done on the cross for us. God, we stand humbled at your goodness. We love you in Jesus' name.